0: everybody and welcome to the Dr. Psych Mom Show. Today we're going to talk about when your spouse's happiness makes you uncomfortable and why this would happen. It sounds like a real shitty kind of thing that people wouldn't want to admit and so they don't want to recognize it in themselves but it's perfectly explainable if you had a difficult childhood and attachment issues as we will discuss. But before that please do subscribe. My most recent subscriber episode was on what the hell you should even expect from therapy and whether your emotions, uh, rather your expectations concord with anything that a human being could provide to you as a therapist and or whether your emotions are actually too low. Um, did I say emotions again? Expectations. So it's about expectations, not emotions. Those are both words that start with E. Um, so I guess I'm confusing that. So anyhow, let's move on to the topic at hand. So many people uh, do not want to go over and give their spouse a hug or a kiss or uh conversely do chores you know so women don't want to go over and give their husband a hug or a kiss or men don't want to do chores or do whatever fucking gentle parenting she wants you to do or whatever the you know flavor of the week is of the thing she wants from you or the flavor of the week of the thing that your husband wants in bed so obviously people have many wants and um when you find yourself like implicitly uh avoiding doing the thing that your partner wants Sometimes it's because you don't want to see them happy. And like that sounds kind of shitty, but it's true. So why would you not want to see your partner happy? So for a lot of people, seeing their partner happy is a lot of pressure. And it's very uncomfortable and it's very intimate. And if you were raised to avoid an askew uh, positive emotions because your parents were depressive or addicted or traumatized or anxious. Uh, you frequently were raised in the type of atmosphere where you felt like the other shoe is going to drop whenever anything positive happens. And if you feel this way, then whenever somebody is happy, it means that something bad could happen. So if you go over and you give your husband a kiss, who's he's been begging for you to kiss him more and be more touchy, feely, and whatever, if you go over and give him a kiss, it's like you feel like his happiness is dangerous because that's what you were always taught is like don't get too comfortable, don't be too happy, always watch out the next thing that could happen, always... um, you know, like, don't get too comfortable, you know, watch out, people are going to hurt you, the world sucks, like the depressive cognitive triad, right, the negative thoughts about self, world, and future, if your parents are are depressive, you know. And especially if they deal with any sort of personality disorder like narcissism or borderline, they're always thinking that people are out to get them. You know, then you're raised to think that like don't get too happy because any bad thing could happen at any time. So when a partner is too happy, you you kind of look at them like kind of an idiot. Like, like they're they're like rolling over and showing their weak underbelly. What kind of idiot would do that? You know, and it makes you feel like uncomfortable, like embarrassed on their their behalf, because you were always shamed as a child for having emotions or being too happy or anything. And I specifically have a podcast about this. It's like when your children's positive emotions make you uncomfortable or overwhelm you or something like that, but it has kids' positive emotions in it. If you want the Spotify search engine improved dramatically, now there is a Spotify search engine. So if you just go to the Dr. Psych Mom Show in Spotify, you can type in these keywords. Makes my life a lot easier because I previously also didn't have any way to find them. <laughs> and there's hundreds of episodes. So, you know, um, but you can now use that. So kids' positive emotions. I think it's when your kids' positive emotions trigger you. And if you if this resonates with you, you should definitely listen to that. And people are far worse behaved with their spouses than their kids because they're trying harder with their kids because that's just fucking evolution. You know, you want your kids to, to grow up and be healthier than you, but your spouse is already, you know, is what what he or she is. So anyway, if you were raised in this kind of environment where any sort of happiness was either, um, you know, it meant that you were an idiot or you were naive or you're setting yourself up for disappointment or failure, then seeing a partner be happy, like the way that your wife would be happy if you organized the garage or that your husband would be happy if you came over and gave him a hug or kiss, that makes you feel that this person is kind of a vulnerable idiot. It makes you uncomfortable on their behalf. You feel anxiety also that you're going to have to, to like, replicate this and that their expectations for you are now changed. That's a big one, particularly with anxious people and people who, again, have had insecure attachments at caregivers. So you feel like if you do something good, now the rules have changed and now the pressure on you is going to be too much and you'll never be able to replicate this. And then it'll be even worse. Your spouse will be more disappointed on the regular because you were not able to keep this going. So you could see why there's a lot built into it that you would not really want them to be happy. Now, what's another reason? You could be so unhappy yourself because you think only of the marriage. It's never only the marriage. So it's usually your marriage plus who you are. Being a depressive kind of person plus the marriage Right? means that you begrudge them their happiness because you don't feel happy. So when they feel happy, you don't feel happy. So why would you want to make them happy if you can't feel happy? And again, this is being raised in a very us versus them, um, you know, zero-sum game environment where one person's win has to be the other person's loss. And I frequently talk about victim-perpetrator worldviews and, you know, my story with the bank. I went to the bank and they told me they weren't going to give me change for my tens. And I said, you tell the manager." that I want to speak to him, and then I got my fives, God damn it! all these people always out to get me. Well, if you were raised like that, then yeah, when your husband's happy, if it, you feel implicitly like you, something was taken from you, there's happiness on, in the offer, like a ball being passed around. One person holds the ball, then the other person doesn't have the ball. Well, if the ball is happiness, if he has it, you lost it. So these are the kind of women that say, I feel like you're taking something from me with sex. I mean, within the context of that, the man is not, you know, uh, assaulting them. Right. And that the man is trying to be a good lover and is trying to give them an orgasm, trying to be attentive and loving. In the sense that the man is like pushing you up against a wall and just, you know, putting his dick in you, then yeah, sure, he's taking something from you, like self-respect and get out of that relationship immediately. But I'm talking about a situation where the man is trying all these different things to make you happy, but his punishment, his the reason you don't like it is because he gets happy. And if he gets happy, then you can't be happy because he took your happy. And this is always associated with a very negative uh, childhood and um, the sort of place where there was a lot of us against them, there was a lot of overt sibling favoritism, there was fighting among the parents, fighting among the kids. It was a very difficult survivalist sort of atmosphere. And so then you learn if one person's happy, the other person can't be happy. So he took my happy. And this is the same with men. So the man thinks if she's happy about this garage that I cleaned up, it makes it worse. It's worse for him than if she wasn't happy. If she wasn't happy with his job, then he would be right in his comfort zone. He'd be like, I can't do anything right for her. She's always gonna complain no matter what I do. And he's like happy saying this like a pig in shit. I see it in the uh, in my sessions. You know, somebody, people are so thrilled to have their biases about the world confirmed. You know, it's very comfortable. There's no cognitive dissonance at all. You say, yeah, I knew if I cleaned the garage, this bitch wouldn't be happy with me still. Right. And if she's not, then shit, you were smart and you were right. And you're a victim. And all these things make a lot of sense, given your family, where all those things were, what you learned was part of being a person in relationships, feeling victimized, Um, you know, predicting bad things would happen that then happened. Of course, you know, if you predict it, you make it much more likely, but you don't see that part, etc. So, you know, so like I said, just as an aside, the way that people engage in those self-fulfilling prophecies is as follows. The guy does the basement, organizes the garage, and he says to his wife, well, you're probably not going to like it anyway because I couldn't do that stupid thing you wanted with the shelves. And then already he shit all over what he did. He made it obvious that he didn't go out of his way and that he also thinks she's stupid. So then she's going to go in and be like, yeah, well, you know what? It doesn't really look much different to me. And then he's going to be, ha ha, nothing makes you happy. Right? And this happens with sex, with women, right? With women and men, when the woman is a lower libido partner, she will lay down like she is preparing for a root canal and she will like basically be like completely silent. She will have nothing even resembling an orgasm. And then when he's not happy with her, she'll be like, I told you more sex wouldn't make you happy which, like, has nothing to do with reality. Like, you know, so if good sex would make him happy, right? And, of course, it's not like he's any paragon of mental health, nor is the woman in the garage incident, because these people married the depressive negative person. So likely they perceive the world in a similar way, us against them also. So either way, there's no, um, you know, winners here. Everybody is struggling within the aftermath of a difficult childhood, which allows people to... Uh, Rather, which prevents people from fully self-actualizing in their relationships and allowing themselves and a partner to be vulnerable and even being attracted to somebody who would be authentic and vulnerable with emotions, which would make you uncomfortable, right? So if a partner's happiness makes you uncomfortable, and, and so sometimes the women say it like this, I can't kiss him because he makes everything into sex. Listen, I got a post about that. If you really have some person with you that you are married to that you make out with him and he says, well, now we have to have sex because I'm hard. So go into the room. We have to have sex right now. That's not fair. Then that's crazy. Obviously, get into couples counseling immediately. The couples counselor can share with him. This is not a way to behave. Of course, she she doesn't want to touch you. Then you're going to make a woman who never, ever wants to kiss you ever. Of course, within this, this does not apply if the woman literally will only make out with you and never has sex, right? So that would be crazy on the other end. But, it's, but a lot of these women, when they say, oh, he just always wants more, sometimes what they mean is he wants more, like he wants us to then hug and kiss regularly. Not like he's saying, like, if we hug and kiss immediately, like, you know, you have to bend over, not saying that. He's saying like, oh, if we hug and kiss, I like it, so I like to keep doing it. I want the kiss to be like, you know, 20 seconds uh, sometimes instead of the one second you give me. That's pretty normal, right? But in her mind, this is him always wanting more, which is the ultimate um, grievance because she was raised that people who want more are stupid and selfish, don't understand the way the world works, are weak, are going to get disappointed, etc., 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 The worse the childhood was, the more abuse or neglect that the person had, then the more scared they are of happiness in themselves or in a partner. Also, the more likely they are to be depressed. This is a known quantity that childhood, uh, a bad childhood in any way, is going to increase your rates of any mental issue later on, you know, so they're feeling uh, very unhappy themselves. So it's not very comfortable to see somebody be happy when you're so unhappy. You know, I mean, it, it, it. you're jealous. You're really jealous of their ability to be happy. And And then if you can't think of any way that they could make you equivalently happy, possibly because you can't be happy because you're depressed. So right now you can't. You feel that you cannot be happy or because they don't know how to do the equivalent thing for you, such as, you know. And there may be no equivalent thing. So sometimes women are like, yeah, I can make him happy with like a blowjob. But like he could make me happy by being emotionally present. But he doesn't know how to be emotionally present. And and I don't know how to tell him. And so basically, I'm not going to do anything for him in bed because he doesn't know how to do this for me. Well, that's obviously not fair. And how the hell could he be emotionally present in such a scenario? And you probably picked a man who can't be emotionally present because emotionally present would terrify you, given that nobody was emotionally present with you growing up. So these are the sort of situations when you're terrified or... uh, uh you know, upset or disgusted or turned off. And this is another one to um, listen to is when women are scared or disgusted by male desire. That's another podcast to listen to if this resonates with you, because it's like very similar. Um, if you are in this situation and this stuff that I'm saying makes sense to you and it on some level makes you uncomfortable because you have felt this way, like fuck this person for being happy, I'm not going to let them be happy because I'm so unhappy and or because it kind of like twists my stomach. I want to avert my eyes from them being happy. Then, you know, that is truly something that you need to explore on a deep level, if only because some of it's going to go over to your children, too. They're definitely going to see the dynamic where mommy and daddy hate making each other happy or at least mommy hates making daddy happy or daddy hates making mommy happy. Then that's the only dynamic that they know and they'll go into the same thing. But also, you're probably not as good as you think with hiding uh, ambivalence at best about the children's positive emotions such that, you know, you try to make them happy with one hand. But on the other hand, you're kind of doing a little version Of what you had growing up, which is when you're trying to limit their expectations, you get angry at them for being ungrateful or not appreciative enough or, you know, things like that where where there's a lot of ambivalence and conflict surrounding anybody being really happy. And on some level, you truly think of such people as, you know, not not very smart or not very adaptive or or immature or foolish or or any of these things. And, um, you know, this is something to truly explore in individual therapy. And if you could work through it, then you're going to get into a better marriage overall. Because if you're not scared of making your partner happier, you're not turned off by it, then you are going to try to do it. And then they're going to try to do it right back to you. So there really are no situations where it's just one person who you know, is terrible, you know, mixed with one person who's wonderful. Uh, and in these situations, it's funny because the one who refuses to make the other one happy uh, frequently thinks of themselves as the victim. They think that they do this because of longstanding resentment, empathic ruptures, et cetera, et cetera. But that's only half the story, now, sometimes not even half the story. Like your, your childhood was like a 20-year like a internship in misery for a lot of people. And then like by the time your partner came on the scene, you were trained, you were like expert level miserable. And the in the honeymoon stage, this receded. Also, you had a biological imperative to make a family, right? So between the drunk in love feeling of the honeymoon stage and the biological imperative to mate and procreate, frequently you seemed less miserable, you know, and you genuinely felt less miserable, truly. And you felt that this would fix everything. You're going to get married, have kids. Now, fuck your parents, fuck your upbringing. Everything's going to be good. But it's not like that. It comes back. It comes right back. If you never deal with it like whack-a-mole, if you have a miserable childhood, you are at real risk of being a miserable adult. And that's all of us who had miserable childhoods, right? So a lot of, of therapy is focused on explicating and bringing out into the light, you know, these patterns that you may want to push under the rug, say, I'm nothing like my parents. Well, you know, who's nothing like their parents? Really, really nobody. Nobody's nothing like their parents. You know, you could see it in your own kids. So people are more or less like one or the other, but there's nobody that was not impacted by seeing uh, interactions between their parents, personality types, and genetically you're like them most of the time unless you are adopted, right? And even then, right, you were raised by them. So then there's a lot of nurture going on. So anyway, um, hopefully anybody found this interesting uh, to explain maybe a discomfort level that you haven't really been comfortable exploring previously and you've been attributing to other things. Because, again, it sounds so terrible to say, well, honestly, it's they're, they're too damn happy about it when I do something they want. And and these are some of the reasons why and and what you should do, which to be totally clear is go into therapy and talk about it, think about it, uh, introspect about it, try new ways of being, try incrementally new interactional patterns that then you could see go differently. And if you if you really will not go into individual therapy because you you are tied to the idea that it's all your partner then go into couples therapy. If you bond with your couples therapist and they do validate some of your partner's flaws, then sometimes you're open to hearing feedback that you yourself could pursue individual therapy or or you could work on things just in the couples sphere. But really, individual expedites couples. Couples can expedite individual, but it's not the same way. I mean, an individual, there's no other person there arguing with you, you know? So, like, it goes a lot quicker. All right. Uh, anyway, I hope you guys found this useful, and I'll talk to you all soon.